Welcome back, everybody, to an intro that in no way can top last week's. Welcome to episode 16 of the Diamond Duo Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Tony Puglisi, joined by my co-host and co-producer Tom Bauer, here to bring you all things baseball that were, that are, and that will come. This show is brought to you by two individuals who hate MLB Hall of Fame voting as much as you do. Ah, there wasn't much in the way of news this week, folks, but oh boy howdy, that Hall of Fame voting. Uh, Tom, how you doing? It's been an interesting week for baseball, despite no real traditional off-season moves happening. Gee, I wonder why we don't have traditional off-season moves happening right now, Tony. It might have to do with a word that begins with an L and ends with ock-out. That's a tough one. It, it's a toughie. I really don't know. But at least there's good news on that front, and that's things are steadily moving forward in those discussions. So hopefully we can get a deal by March. If not, Opening day might not happen. Quite frankly, MLB The Show 2022 might release before we have an opening day, and that would just be sad, but at the same time, who cares anyway? As far as Hall of Fame voting goes, Tony, it's interesting. There's some people that are happy that at least somebody got in. There's always the animosity that people who supposedly use steroids or tested once positively in 2003 that are in the Hall of Fame. Certain steroid allegations um, kept keeping some very notable names out of the Hall of Fame. We had an episode about this pretty much detailing everything about the ballot itself, but now we finally have the results, and they are in, and David Ortiz is the only member, modern member, of the class of 2022. I gotta say, Tom, this is probably one of the most animosity-filled responses to a Hall of Fame system that is already known for being pretty uh, controversial, let's call it. No Bonds, no Clemens, no Schilling, just Ortiz. And we'll go into that in just a moment, but just a couple of disclaimers. We are recording this episode of the Diamond Duo podcast on January the 31st. How in God's name is it February already? I swear to God, it was New Year's Day like yesterday. <laughs> so any news that transpires between now and the releasing of this episode uh, is not going to be covered because obviously it has not happened yet. Uh, and also go follow us on, on social media. One of these days I'll say that phrase correctly. We are the Diamond Duo Podcast on Instagram. We are at Diamond Duo Pod on Twitter. It is there. You will find fun graphics, updates, and other such stats and graphics that we may post. Except over the past two weeks, I, for I forgot to upload anything. My my apologies. Oh, don't worry. It's The audiograms are my job, and I forgot last week, so... <laughs> we do our best, ladies and gentlemen. We still are adults with full-time jobs. But follow us on social media. We post some damn good content, and it's the best way to keep up to date with updates on the show. So... That all being said, let's get right into the news of this week. And by the news, we mean the two bits of news we go to before we get to the main segment of the show. Tom, as you mentioned already earlier, the lockout seems to be trending in the correct direction, so to speak. We don't have any uh, too many tangible updates, like we don't have a return to play date, we don't have a new CBA on the whole, but the way things are looking, you know, the players' union is sacrificing a couple things. I believe I read somewhere that they gave a little ground to the owners in terms of when a player hits free agency or minimum salary, and instead the owners will give something uh, somewhere down the line to compromise. So everything seems to be heading in a proper direction. We don't know anything for certain yet, 
but it's at least better than a month ago, where two sides didn't even come to the table yet. Yeah, at least when they came to the table this time, good things were happening, like you were saying. I honestly don't remember exactly what went down, because that happened two weeks ago, and uh, we didn't record last week, so that's not fresh in my memory. But if my memory serves me correctly, the lack thereof my memory, you're on the right track, Tony. They're essentially compromising with each other right now. They're trying to feel each other out, obviously business style. This happens all the time in any sort of business setting. Uh, it's just about the X's and the O's at this rate. What one side's willing to compromise, what one side isn't willing to compromise. So, who knows? However, I will point this out there. I don't know how much validity it has to it. I'm pulling it up on Twitter again just to see if it was deleted. It was not. This is from Alex Contreras on Twitter, or The Real Akon, on January 26th of 2022. Source from the Yankees clubhouse tells me a new deal is as good as done between the players' union and the owners. Quote, attorneys stretching it as long as possible to see more money. End quote. So I don't know how much validity that has to it. Alex Contreras is a verified user on Twitter, only with about 942 followers. So again, I don't know how much validity that has. However, I would like to think that the progress that they've made over the past two weeks translates to that saying, we're going to have baseball, hopefully in time for April. If not, then I don't know, maybe we'll have to cancel Alex Contreras like many people canceled Dan Clark in the past or other users of baseball Twitter for their stupid tweets that didn't make any sense. But we're just gonna have to wait and see with this lockout. Yes, we absolutely will. Oh my god. Dan Clark, that's a name we haven't thought of in a while. Wasn't he one of our first deep drives to left? Was he the fellow who charged people to appear on the po- on podcast, or was that somebody else? No, that was him. That's why we did a d- deep drive to left on it. I think that was our second episode. I think that was our first deep drive. <laughs> oh my god, the nostalgia. You said that name, and it's like, I know that name somewhere. Who's, who the hell's Dan Clark? Why'd we have to cancel him, so to speak? See, he's actually been canceled twice, technically, on Twitter, because of that one, and two, I believe he was the fella who said that Manny Machado to the Yankees is as good as done back when Machado was a free agent, and that did not come true. Um, I believe he was a verified user at the time, too, so a lot of people put uh, their marbles in the basket to that. If it's true, it's staying in the episode. As a sweepstakes, I also forgot happened and got as vitriolic as it did. But circling back to what you were saying, it's looking increasingly likely that, you know, we're not going to have a canceled season God willing. I think, like, just me personally, the way things are shaping out and what we're hearing on Twitter, whether or not Alex Contreras turns out to be a reliable source or not, I think the worst case scenario is just going to be, you know, an abridged spring training, kind of like what we had in the 2020 season, and an opening day that is a little bit later than it normally is. We'll look at something like 1995, where I think they played 144 games it was that year. I don't know if they'd miss that many games, but I'm not a fortune teller. I don't have any kind of insider information to uh, further back that claim, but that's just the way it looks like to me. Lesser spring training and a slightly truncated MLB season. But other than that, we could have gotten a lot worse. I'm thankful. Yeah, I'm just hoping baseball starts. That's all we want. We don't care. Well, actually, we will care what happens with the negotiations because they could definitely deeply impact the game, especially from a rules perspective, if we get universal DHs, which would piss off one of the writers that we did a... No, he was added to the list. It wasn't a deep drive to left. But um, I think that's going to tie in well to our next discussion, Tony. And that's about the Hall of Fame. 
<laughs> oh boy, I don't remember his name, and quite frankly, I don't care about him enough to remember his name. I hope he his name and reputation fades away in obscurity. But the reason Tom brought him up is because there's only one individual from the modern class going into the Hall of Fame. And that man, ladies and gentlemen, as you probably knew, is David Ortiz. Now, if you remember, it was last episode, or excuse me, two episodes, I believe, that Tom and I constructed our mock ballots, basically said who we'd vote for, where we given the privilege to vote. We each used 10 votes, and one vote on each of our ballots was given to David Ortiz. So you could probably wager how we feel about that. You know, one of the best pure sluggers of our time, face of a franchise for over a decade, led them to three titles, multiple silver sluggers, top five, top ten MVP finishes, and a postseason hero. Seriously, the guy's a damn hero in Boston, so... Actually didn't finish too, too far above the 75% threshold. I believe he was only... Tom, correct me if I'm wrong. Was he 11 votes above, or like 10, something in that range? I don't know the necessary votes to get to 75%. I can tell you that he got 77.9% of the vote. By far the most out of anybody on the ballot. So yeah, he definitely, I don't want to say squeaked by, but when you think of it in retrospect, if you look at Tarek Jeter just two years back getting damn near unanimous, he squeaked by. And honestly, good for him. With as much slinging as happening for the folks who didn't get in, and the writers who, with their own actions and judgment, did not put them in. It, it almost feels like there's not enough praise going to David Ortiz, and I say this as a fella who maligned him growing up. Obviously not anymore. That was just me being a salty Yankees fan. But, no, really, good for David Ortiz. The guy really deserves it. If you're still on about the PED stuff, go watch episode 14 of the Diamond Duo podcast. We deep dive our logistics into the PED discussion there. And if we go into it again, we're going to be here all day. Congrats to David Ortiz. He absolutely deserves his enshrinement in Cooperstown. And I hope that more folks start to realize that. Yeah, ditto exactly what Tony said before. I know where Tony's going with this discussion. I just wanted to throw in, keep in mind, he is not going to be the only person enshrined on July 4th of 2022. I've got the other names in front of me. So we can assert a hearty congratulations, of course, to David Ortiz, well-deserving of the Hall of Fame, but also two members of the early baseball era committee, Buck O'Neill and Bud Fowler, and also some of the members of the Golden Days era committee, Minnie Minoso, Gil Hodges, Jim Cat, and Tony Oliva joining David Ortiz as the members of the class of 2022. If you want to call it that. I don't know if they'd technically be a part of that class. I'm going to say it is. If it's not, then whatever. But anyway, let's get back to the main gist. And that's the rest of the people not getting in the Hall of Fame. Tony, I'll let you discuss first. So, like I said earlier, no Bonds, no Clemens, no Schilling. And let's just say people aren't the happiest to hear that. Now, some good news. Big risers in this year's class. Guys like Scott Rowland, Todd Helton, and Andrew Jones got a lot of favor this year. Like, honestly, considering how relatively weak next year's ballot looks, Scott Rowland could realistically get in next year. And if not next year, then I think most certainly the year after. I don't have his exact voting percentage at the top of my head. I believe Tom does. Yeah, Scott Rowland this year, it was the most he's ever gotten. He got 249 votes on his fifth year in the ballot, which equals 63.2% of the ballots uh, voted for him. The fourth most player voted on for enshrinement into Cooperstown. That's pretty damn good. And especially for a guy who, when he first started, his chances looked dead in the water. 
I'm really happy, and a lot of people are really happy. So, some really good high risers. The guys who we expected to fall off the ballot did fall off the ballot. You know, your AJ Pierzynski's, Mark Teixeira, uh, Ryan Howard, and of course, my, my dark horse, my golden boy. If you remember two episodes ago, I made a little bit of a case for Joe Nathan. And unfortunately, he did not meet the 5% threshold. I kind of expected it, but... He's a reliever. Voters aren't exactly turned on to letting too many relievers into the Hall of Fame quite yet. <laughs> it's honestly a shame. He only needed three more votes too. He only got he got seventeen percent of the votes. He was the net. He was the net. Oh. He was the first man out at four point three percent. And Tim Hudson was right behind him as well uh, with three percent of the vote. I didn't know he was that close. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, really sad. <laughs> However, my dark horse, Tory Hunter, he got twenty one votes, so he just squeaked in to his second year on the ballot. <laughs> all right, all right, good stuff. So th- that's the stuff that not as many folks are talking about. You know, you you kind of expected Mark Teixeira to fall off. You kind of expected guys like Roland and Wagner to be high risers. Bonds and Clemens. Bonds, Bonds, Bonds and Clemens. Now let, let, let's get Schilling out of the way. We kind of knew he wasn't going to get in. We both wanted him, and I think everyone who isn't a Hall of Fame voter, wants him in. But he shot himself in the foot by saying that he doesn't want to be on the ballot anymore. He wants to be chosen by his former peers. And quite frankly, I'll say this, he's a slam dunk candidate once he hits the Veterans Committee. Like, Veterans Committee shows malign to really just steroid users. Schilling has never been called a clubhouse cancer. And the reasons people don't vote for him are off the field issues. Again, we've gone into them in the past. So the second he hits that ballot, I think he gets in. Frankly, I think there's a chance he goes unanimous. On the committee, he quite possibly could. It depends who's voting on said committee, because we won't know which members do. But just taking a look on his numbers, if he didn't make those comments or wasn't a controversial figure, obviously he'd be in right now. He had 71.1% of the vote in 2021. This year, he dipped quite a bit, 58.6% of the vote, the fifth most uh, voted on player on the ballot. It's honestly a shame. However, he'll definitely be more of a slam dunk Hall of Famer than Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens, Tony, because as you were saying, they will be very strict on the steroid users. Now, I don't necessarily recall seeing a failed test by either player, although Roger Clemens does have that kind of court appearance uh, that happened, I think, as the Mitchell Report, and he kind of perjured himself. Is that the right legal term? I'm not a lawyer. Uh, Perjury is the correct term. I believe Bonds is uh, guilty of that as well, so Paul isn't really in either Uh, of their courts on this one. Yeah, not in the court of the former players or apparently the U.S. judicial system, but they didn't have to serve time for that, so you know what? Maybe not so much the U.S. judicial system, but that's not the point. Those two not on the ballot anymore it's a shame well it's a shame because they should have gotten in beforehand uh but the whole debate it's just so divided i mean bonds got 66 percent of the vote clemens was shortly behind him with 65.2 percent of the vote three votes apart from each other at 260 and 257 respectively for bonds and clemens it, it just goes to show two-thirds of the baseball universe want them enshrined in cooperstown but you still got to convince the other third that they're worthy of enshrinement. Um, I think Doug Glanville is his name, made a very interesting case. I didn't read his article on ESPN, but Jeff Passan tweeted about it, how he was very thought process and stuff like that. I believe Glanville's main point, and by the way, his article I think was titled, Why They Shouldn't be enshrined and he's happy that they're not there i think he's layered it down to there's a difference between being inducted into the hall of fame and being honored in the hall of fame 
honored being the key word there. I don't know how so much Bonds and Clemens would be honored, quote unquote, in the Hall of Fame with their sketchy backgrounds. I mean, you even look with the memorabilia that the first thing that came to my head when you said that is if you're if you're not familiar, Bonds' record-breaking home run ball, the ball he hit to break Hank Aaron's record is in the Hall of Fame and it's adorned with an asterisk. An artist, a local San Francisco artist, got a hold of it, sold it to the museum with an asterisk on it. So, let's just say Bonds already doesn't have a very favorable image in Cooperstown. And now he's not even going to have an image in Cooperstown. It's really unfortunate to see. I'm very curious as to see what the next committees are going to do. Because, like we've talked about, they're not the most kind to former steroid users. Like, if you look at Mark McGuire's chances... Uh, after he fell off the ballot, they're a his poor sight to look at. And just talking to the cheating argument one more time, I'm not going to spend time on this. We talked about Bud Selig's in, so why aren't they in? If your argument is why is cheating allowed, like, or let me rephrase that. If your argument is we shouldn't allow cheaters in the Baseball Hall of Fame, you need to look back at the 50s and the 60s and what pitchers were doing to the ball. I mean, just off the top of my head, you know, Whitey Ford would scuff the baseball with his wedding ring. Don Sutton gave probably the most hilarious answer to foreign substances that I've ever heard. Reporter asked him one time, Hey Don, is it true that you use foreign substances to doctor the ball in your career? And Sutton replied, Nonsense. Vaseline is manufactured right here in the United States. That's a true story. I love it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then there's this guy I've been wanting to talk about for a minute. Gaylord Perry. If you've ever heard of him, I this man is a 300-win pitcher and got into the Hall of Fame. I actually don't know this. Let me look this up. How many tries it took him to get into the Hall of Fame. But Gaylord Perry is practically defined by his legacy of doctoring the baseball, cheating, and getting famous off of it. The man wrote a book while he was playing called Me and the Spitter, detailing what his concoctions were, where he would hide them, and how he'd get away with it. Fella got suspended and still got into the Hall of Fame uh, on his third try. Three tries it took, and the second time he got 72%. So, if you're going to let Gaylord Perry in the Hall of Fame, like, no disrespect to him, he had a great long career, a 90-war career, uh, with two Cy Youngs and five All-Star uh, All-Star game appearances, you got to let Bonds and Clemens in at this point. It's At this point, it's becoming a farce, and this is, be this is coming from someone who his whole life did not support them. Really quick Gaylord Perry tangent. Was he the guy who had, like, a nail filer in his back pocket and got ejected? Like, because he was caught with it in the middle of the game, and he, like, the umpires are going to check his back pocket, and he, like, threw no. it behind him like he tried to do a magic trick, and then he's like, I got no, nothing, no. and then they saw it, and they immediately ejected him. Was that Gaylord Perry? No, I think that was Phil Negro. Oh, that was. I love that clip so much. Hey, everyone, Editor Tom here, and we're actually both wrong about who threw that nail file or sandpaper or whatever it was, it was actually Phil's brother, Joe Negro, who had that situation happen to him in 1987. Just wanted to clear that up for you. Actually, fun fact about Gaylord Perry. Tom, have you ever seen the movie Major League? Oh, of course I've seen Major League. I love that movie. Do you know that old pitcher? He's got, like, the southern accent, uh, who, like, talks to Charlie Sheen, and he says, like, oh, you know, I got this. He's, like, pointing to the substances he's got on his chest. It's like, oh, here's Vaseline. Here's, like, sometimes I rub a little snot on the ball to get a better grip. Yeah. That guy's based on Gaylord Perry. Really? I did not know that. I, that's one of my, that's honestly how I, bleh, I think that was actually how I got introduced to Gaylord Perry. <laughs> so, Gaylord Perry tangent aside, if you let him in, 
You gotta let Bonds and Clemens in at this point. It's it's ridiculous. Exactly. But I think we've kind of milked the tank as much as we possibly can with that between the episodes that we've talked about it building up to now. So unfortunately, that's the case. Will they ever be enshrined in Cooperstown? Big fat question mark. The answer probably being no at least in the next 25 years would be my guess. But uh, real quickly, what I wanted to talk about, Tony, again, I just wanted to bring up the uh, guys that could get in next year on this ballot. You mentioned Scott Rowland. He definitely can because uh, the weak ballot will be introduced next year. The only possible slam dunk candidate, which will be very interesting because it's a whole different type of cheating. Carlos Beltran. Of course, he just had to get hired by Yes Network, too, as like an announcer or something like that. That kind of pissed me off a little bit. I know he's very well respected in the baseball community, but we're going to see how much that's going to start hanging over players' heads. Because if that, if Beltron gets in in one shot, then obviously no one gives a sh- that the biggest cheating scandal in baseball in the past 20 years outside of steroids, that's not going to be a factor, at least on Beltron, because maybe it was the end of his career. I don't know, but I think he was one of the architects of it, from what I've heard. Could be mistaken, but I don't know. But at any rate, that's not what I wanted to talk about. Roland, he could possibly get in next year. Depends how many people shift into his favor. The other notable jumps, Tony, I think, mentioned them, except he left one off. Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, and the one I think he left off, Billy Wagner. I think they've got a much better shot at getting in now. Why? I'll tell you. They all increased in their vote totals, and they still have a couple years left on the ballot. Roland will be in his sixth year next year. He got 63.2% of the vote. Helton got 52% of the vote the vote this year, and that was his fourth year. Billy Wagner, well, he's going to be closing in on 10 years pretty soon. He'll be in eight next year, but he got 51% of the vote. And Andrew Jones, only in his fifth year this year, he got 41.1% of the vote. He's got the most digging to do, but honestly, I think if Roland gets in, I think Andrew Jones could be following because I think a lot of people start seeing the case for Andrew Jones, at least when they have to evaluate the upcoming classes that could be. You're absolutely right, and just diving into that class, the only reason I mentioned, hey, Roland could get in next year, is because outside of Carlos Beltran, next year's class is pretty weak. You've got Francisco Rodriguez, who, in the absence of Joe Nathan, he's now going to be my dark horse. Let's get more relievers in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I guess that's my cause now. Uh, We'll talk about K-Rod when we get there, but K-Rod is the next big name. Next big name after that is Jared Weaver, which, no disrespect to him, he had a great career, but that's it. A great career, not a Hall of Fame career, and that's... I'm not going to go through every single name. We'll get to that next year, but I will say, lastly that this class is highlighted by Yankees legend Jacoby Ellsbury. So, (laughs) I think Tom just had a PTSD-induced flashback when I said that name. (laughs) Yeah, not even because of the lack of production, just the damn contract that they signed him to. Like, obviously, his injuries were a part of the trauma. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I remember my dad, like, throwing a conniption fit when... Uh, he was signed by the team because he compared him exactly to Brett Gardner. And I'm not going to lie, looking back on it, his numbers at the time were exactly matching Brett Gardner. And we were paying for more years at a significantly higher cost just because it was Jacoby Ellsbury. Uh, And the worst part was we weren't even a greatly winning team at that point. We still stayed stable. (laughs) But obviously not Ellsbury's fault, but... 
Oh boy, Yankees, you... Let's hope that Garrett Cole contract doesn't look like that Jacoby Ellsbury contract down the road, but... God, Jesus, I at least have confidence in Garrett Cole. I know he can get the job done. Ellsbury... Oh, yeah. Eh, I don't know. Anywho, we'll talk more about the 2023 Hall of Fame class when the time comes, because trust me, we've talked about the Hall of Fame quite expansively. It was a very interesting year. I do think this is going to go down as almost like a crossroads year for the Hall of Fame, given that Bonds and Clemens didn't get in. Uh, it'll be interesting to write, to write the history of the next few years of Hall of Fame, uh, Baseball Hall of Fame history. But again, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. For now, we just have to lay in wait. So, with all this talk about the Hall of Fame, you think we'd be done, right? Well, technically, yes. We're, we're not talking about guys in the Hall of Fame anymore. No, Tom and I had an idea uh, about a month ago by now. I think it was when we released the episode Making Our Mock Ballots where we honor some folks who aren't in the Hall of Fame, but put up really good numbers that could allow them to be in the Hall of Fame. Maybe, perchance, the best folks at each position not in the Hall of Fame. So, with that thought process, we are going to do our second ever draft on the Diamond Duo podcast. If you remember, the first one was done to construct the Players of the Month for September of 2021. Where I clearly built a better team, but we're not going to be. We're not going to uh, talk no, about no, that. No, 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 no. You did not build a better team. First of all, I would highly disagree with you. Second of all, the votes were a tie, so no one had the better team technically. Hey, I have Juan Soto. Every team that has Soto is the better team. Oh, okay, except for the actual Nationals. Yeah, but <laughs> I had Bryce Harper. I had the MVP. So get. Well, I had the future MVP. If he doesn't win an MVP in his career, it'd be a crime. But. That's a rant for another day. <laughs> so that was our first draft we did. If you remember, it was a snake draft where we went position by position, or not necessarily position by position. We filled out a starting lineup, one starter, and a reliever to complete a team of the month. Now, the theme is going to be a little different. Tom and I are going to be constructing a team, full starting nine, plus two pitchers, of players not in the Hall of Fame. We put a lot of thought into this. We looked up Baseball Reference, some articles of like, oh, the top 20 players not in the Hall of Fame found out some positions are way more stacked than others when it comes to Hall of Very Good Base Talent. Her first base! It, cough, cough. Not giving. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> but no, this one is going to be, this one I think is going to be very interesting. Tom, I told this to you uh, before we started. When we did Team of the Month, you know, it was fun, but you could almost guess, like, all right, where's Juan Soto going to land? Where's Tyler O'Neill going to land? Who's going to get uh, Salvador Perez? This one, there's a million different directions we could go, especially with positions like first base. Yeah, and the outfield and everywhere else on the diamond. Now, some quick rules that we have in place. Uh, one, we actually are include we are going to put a DH into the lineup too. I don't know if you said that, Tony. So pretty much any leftover hitter that we want to throw in to our team, we can do it. Number two, nobody that was on the 2022 ballot that is off, i.e. Bonds and Clemens or Schilling or anybody else, cannot be named on our teams we talked about them plenty over the past i don't know how long we're going to leave them off for now if we do it again next year then i'm sure as sure that they will probably be one of our first top picks number three the players that we select are not in the hall of fame but we are not going to exclude players that are banned from the hall of fame if you catch our drift 
because I think Tony and I know who they are and will probably be going very, very quickly in this draft. So essentially, again, we're trying to build the best possible non-Hall of Fame team to whatever standard that we hold. I'll explain my standard a little bit when I get into drafting, but first, we gotta figure out who is going to draft first, unless I forgot a rule. I think you hit all the rules. Uh, the only one I don't think you mentioned is, I mean, this one goes without saying, but no current players. Oh, yeah. Like, I can't draft Mike Trout. How about we get this show on the road? We gotta decide a turn, uh, a draft order. We did that last time with the highly technological uh, venue of asking Siri to flip a coin, and that's what I'm gonna do again. Hey Siri, flip a coin. Wait, we oh wait, wait we wait. can't do that. We, if we call didn't it pick. Yeah, we <laughs> wait. We yeah. call it. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. My mind is so fixated on speed running through this. <laughs> I oh long day at work. It's Monday, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my god, Tom, heads or tails? I really hope I don't butcher this like the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals did. Uh, go Bengals, by the way. I'm gonna call tails. All right, so I've got heads. Let's find out for real this time. Hey Siri, flip a coin. Heads. All right, it is heads. So, oh man, Tom, I'm sorry. <laughs> So, so we already know who the first one going off the board is going to be. Uh, again, we're going to go in a snake draft like we did last time. So I have pick number one. Tom is like going to have picks two and three. I have four and five, etc., etc. So that being said, uh, with the first pick, I'm just going to pencil him in right now because I'm keeping track of these. I'm going to go with the gentleman that Tom alluded to when he said we're not, or we are picking from guys who are barred from the Hall of Fame. And I'm going to go with a guy who, in light of recent events, really should have been in already, but thanks to a, a certain, um, bang bang cheating scandal, uh, should have been honorary, <laughs> should have been put in already. It's Pete Rose, everybody. Oh, you're going with Rose. I thought you were going with Shoeless Joe Jackson. Ah. Joe Jackson. Well, that's the thing. Jackson, I've got an alternative in, at his position. Pete Rose left field is surprisingly dry with... Folks, not in the Hall of Fame. I wanted Rose out of the way and off the board, so we know who the number two pick's gonna be. <laughs> oh, yeah, spoiler alert. It might be Shoeless Joe Jackson. By the way, I thought he was always a shortstop. He's actually an outfielder. I always thought he was a shortstop oh, yeah. for the longest time. I always thought, I, I guess I always pictured him as Hunnis Wagner, like on that card that's famous, and I always just pictured Shoeless Joe that's Jackson fair. under it. I don't know why I did that, Um, but yeah, I'm <laughs> picking Shoeless Joe Jackson. He's actually gonna be my left fielder that I'm going to pick. I did have another name that I was penciled in because he's a very, very good offender of various things. For example, beating the crap out of a baseball and also, well, he may or may not have gotten suspended for uh, hurling a baseball into the stands at one point, but that's besides the point. Uh, I'm not telling you who, by the way. I am not telling you who. I was going to say, are you drafting Trevor Bauer? <laughs> No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Not yeah, drafting. I think you could do that. Yeah, no current players. There is a uh, former player that did that. Or maybe it was a, I don't know. I I had a book called Who's Who in Baseball, and I have a 1999 or a 2000 edition, and I was just going, th thumbing through it, and I get to this guy's name, and I could see how many times he was suspended throughout his career. I was like, what the actual F? 
Like, this man must be, like, crazy in some capacity. Hey everyone, Editor Tom here again, and if you don't know who I was alluding to, it was actually 1990s legend Albert Bell. If you don't know who I'm talking about, go look up his baseball reference page for his baseball stats. They're absolutely incredible. If you want to know more about the character of Albert Bell, I highly suggest looking at his Wikipedia page or finding old articles about him, a very interesting player from the 1990s. But I'm not picking him here. I'm doing Shoeless Joe Jackson. Uh, of course, of the Black Sox scandal, uh, Pete Rose, of course, happened with the gambling scandal. He was betting on games, I believe, when he was a manager of the Cincinnati Reds, and I picked Shoeless Joe Jackson as my left fielder. And also something I wanted to mention when I was doing the rules, we are going to say how close the player was to getting into the Hall of Fame after we picked them for as long as, rem as we remember. I think Tony just remembered as I was saying that because he kind of made a uh, shocked expression on his <laughs> face. I might have forgotten, but these two don't really count, so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was going to go over career numbers, but we've already gone off on such a tangent that I'm going to skip Shoeless Joe Jackson's numbers. Go look at his baseball reference page. Um, any rate, for my next pick, my second pick in this non-Hall of Fame draft, I got to go for positions that are going to be very sparse. I got to go for a position that is very lackluster in terms of non-Hall of Famers. And there's one that stands out on my list. Tony's probably going to hate me for taking him so early because I think he was planning on doing it. I am taking Mr. Thurman Munson as my catcher. I was right. Mm. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> uh, so Thurman Munson, let me tell you about him. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, he passed away at the age of 32 in 1979 in a plane crash, I believe. I believe he was flying a plane, and it crashed, unfortunately. Our respects go out to Thurman Munson and his family. Longtime Yankee of 11 years, 46.1 war, 1,500 near 1,600 hits, 113 home runs, 292 batting average. Uh, his average 162-game season... They did not play 162 games back in the day, but it would read along something like this. 177 hits, 13 home runs, 80 RBIs, 292 average, 346 on base percentage, OPS of 756, and a slugging percentage of 410. Also a one-time MVP winner, Rookie of the Year, two-time World Series winner, three-time Gold Glover, seven-time All-Star, and he appeared on 15, uh, 15 different times, and the Highest he got was actually his first year on the ballot with 15.5% of the vote. He ended in 1995 with 6.5% of the vote. An atrocity, if I say the least, about Hall of Fame voting in the regards of Mr. Thurman Munson, because he was on pace to be one of the greatest catchers of all time, I think, had his career and his life, sadly, be taken away. Well, I hate to counter a tribute to such an amazing player like Thurman Munson with a f*** you because that's who I was taking next. <laughs> <laughs> Thurman Munson, absolutely the choice of catcher. Like you said, Tom on pace to be one of the best ever, but his life cut tragically short. We all miss him dearly, Yankees fans and otherwise. Now that leaves a hell of a spot for me to figure out who I'm drafting next. <laughs> well, you, you know what? You think about that, because I wanted to say I'm picking, by the way, based on prime of someone's career, not necessarily career accumulation, unless I say so. What they did in their prime, and Thurman Munson was damn good in his prime. An MVP and a very well-balanced hitter. And that's what I like to see in my catchers. And if you can be very good with the glove behind the plate, then obviously that's good too. Just wanted to throw that out there. Tony, the baton is yours. 
I'm doing something pretty similar. I think I'm leaning a bit heavier on career accolades for this, or rather career longevity for this. All right, there's a couple positions I'm looking at because obviously my catcher I'll save to the very end. I know who I'm picking there. Oh, ooh, I have an idea. All right, so there's a couple more position players where you can look at and think, all right, there's going to be maybe one or two guys who are slam dunks, and then there's you know, a rogues gallery of other positions where you can sort of have your pick of the litter. We've mentioned first base. Relief pitchers are also surprisingly numerous. Uh, I'm going to go take a trip over to the hot corner. There's a couple guys here I could take, including another Yankees legend. He's actually one of the first guys that I penciled in. But if we're going to go with career peaks and just general how much he was able to achieve over his career, I've got to go Dick Allen as my third baseman. And Tom's reaction, I elicited a reaction from Tom that was the very same reaction he solicited from me when he picked Thurman Munson so I'm happy <laughs> I I was gonna so Dick- go I was gonna go third base if I didn't go catcher but I knew <laughs> I at least had more options at third I also wrote down a Yankees legend at third base that I might now have to choose as my third baseman I could also go in a different direction but we'll see when we get there but tell us about Dick Allen Tony we absolutely will get there so Dick Allen Uh, We talked about him a couple episodes ago because he missed out on the Hall of Fame by one vote yet again. Still salty about that. A lot of people still are. But truly one of the most underrated baseball players, I think, ever. Seven-time All-Star, a clean 58.7 war. He's got a Rookie of the Year and an MVP under his belt. Career OPS Plus of 156, which is just insane. Uh, 15-year career, not quite as long as, say, some other guys at the hot corner who aren't in the Hall of Fame, but considering what this guy was able to do in that time is pretty damn amazing. You know, I like to think there's two types of Hall of Famers. There's the stat accumulators who just play forever, and they're obviously still very good. They're in the Hall of Fame. And then there's what I like to call the firecrackers. You know, guys like Sandy Koufax or Dick Allen, who didn't play a relatively huge long amount of time, but still dazzled us with their talents while they were here. So Dick Allen... I don't think much more needs to be said. He's a fantastic player, horrifically snubbed of the Hall of Fame two straight times, which I find disheartening, but it does allow me to put him on my team. He will be my third baseman. Oh, I so wanted Dick Allen to third base. <laughs> now, the next position is actually kind of interesting. I'm between two. Hmm. I closed out the wrong tap. God damn it. <laughs> Good job, Tony. <laughs> don't worry about that. You, you keep that in, take that out. It's going in a bloopers folder either way. <laughs> Okay, so now to continue the draft, my next pick, I'm not going to touch pitchers quite yet because there's a, there's a couple pitchers I could go to. I'm debating going for a starter, but I think I'm going to hold off. I think I'm going to hold off. I have two guys who I'm pretty confident in drafting. I'm going to go to another position that I think is pretty bleak in terms of guys who aren't in the Hall of Fame. And in doing so, I'm going to have to round out my left side of the infield. So I'm going to go grab myself a shortstop, actually. And talk about a guy that you may or may not have heard of. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to talk to you about a dead baller by the name of Bill Dallin. This may or may not have been where Tom thought I was going to go with this, but I can, I, you'll see. I can inter- interject. This is not where I thought where you were going with this. I didn't even have this guy on my list. I thought you were going for another position entirely that I will most certainly take with my next pick. But go on, Tony. Enlighten us. I feel like we have the same position in mind. I got a backup. Don't you worry. So, <laughs> Bill Dalen, or sorry, Bill Dallin, I apologize. Bill Dallin was, like I said, a dead baller who played between the years 1891 and 1911. So definitely more of the stack compiler Hall of Famer that I 
uh, denoted in my earlier explanation. By no means a guy whose stats are going to jump off the page at you, but when you really look into the nitty gritty of it, guy was a really effective ball player. 75.2 war on his career, he's got 2400 hits, career batting average of 272 going into the dead ball era, that's pretty damn impressive. Uh, and overall, a pretty versatile player, he played shortstop and third base his entire career, he won the 1905 World Series with the New York Giants, uh, played with them and the Brooklyn Dodgers uh, at one point, that must have been interesting at the time. Uh, no home run power, but no one had home run power back then. Uh, and a career OPS plus well above average. So, Bill Dalen, or Dallin, oh my god, I keep doing that. The H in his name is throwing me off. So, the reason I picked him, I'm gonna be honest, folks, there's a lot of shortstops in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> like, next to just pitchers, in general, shortstops are by and large the most inundated position in the Hall of Fame. Like, there's a guy called Rabbit Moranville in the Hall of Fame, and he's got worse hitting than Ozzie Smith, and less overall consistency than Alan Trammell. He's in, but... Bill Dallin is not. So, no, there's not a ton of people really pining for him, but when you look at his when you look at his career, he put up some damn good numbers, and in an era which was defined by relatively low offensive production, he managed to be a bright spot in all that. So for that reason, he's going to be my shortstop. Yeah, I'm looking I was looking at his numbers for a minute and they're honestly pretty impressive for dead ball. He hit 15 home runs at one point in his career. I think he had a 359 batting average to a company that year that I believe went triple digits with RBIs, too, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, you've got the finger pointed. This is just to amend something that I forgot about. Um, He was on the Hall of Fame ballot twice. Once for the BBWA, in which he amassed a stellar 0.4% of the vote, and once on the veterans ballot in 1936, where he upgraded his stock to 1.3%, which, my god, we hate Hall of Fame voting today, but holy shit, at least it's gotten better. <laughs> so, that's for him, and I'm pulling up Dick Allen right now. Outside of finishing just one vote shy, two straight times, when he was on the BBWAA uh, ballot. He peaked again towards the, actually towards the end. He actually started off v with very, very little uh, support, started off with 3.7%. He peaked at a whopping 16, or sorry, 18.9% on the ballot. Now it's his penultimate year in 1996, and unfortunately, he did not live to see himself enshrined in Cooperstown. Definitely one of the biggest, I think, missed opportunities of the Hall of Fame recently, but we went into that in very great detail a few episodes ago. Now, where do I move on? First of all, Tony, thank you for taking a shortstop that I did not have written down because now I've got my Diamonds Dozen pick of where I can go with shortstop. Now I can pick pretty much whoever I want unless you somehow take them. Um, but as I mentioned a little bit ago, I'm going to be taking a position that does not have a lot of solid foundation, at least through my research, and that is second baseman. Tony probably knows where I'm going with this. There's two serious candidates that I was thinking about taking here. Both I would kind of call sabermetric darlings, at least the guy I'm not taking. I would consider that much. Uh, if you just look at his career numbers and see his war, uh, you probably wouldn't think that at all. I think Tony's He's smiling because I think he, I think you know who I'm talking about, Tony. We wrote the same two names down. You're going to take one. I'm going to take the next. Yeah, I'm going to take Lou Whitaker. And that's the name yeah. I'm going to go with. I think he's a more slam dunk candidate. Him and Alan Trammell, I believe, were like a dynamic duo in the infield for a very long time in Detroit. And I am correct with that. He played 19 years in Detroit, all the way from 1977 through 95. Almost 2,400 career hits. He was a Rookie of the Year winner. 244 career home runs. 1,000 plus RBIs. 
career uh, slash line, 276, 363, 426, and 789 if you go batting average, OBP, slugging, and OPS. 162 game average. Again, they didn't play that much at the time, but that's why I'm looking at on baseball reference. 17 home runs, 73 RBIs, uh, 10 stolen bases, uh, and then, of course, that slash line. I just think he's a much more clear case than the other name that I discarded. Um, Also wanted to mention he was on the 1984 Detroit Tigers World Series team. So yeah, I'm taking Lou Whitaker. Um, Only was on the ballot once, though. In 2001, 2.9% of the vote he only accumulated. I believe he got more votes in different era committees. I don't have that pulled up, though, on baseball reference. I don't think they list that. But that's all I see from the BBWA. Or the BBWAA. You only had 2.9%? Really? Yeah. God damn. Yeah, that was uh, shocking to me. Honestly, I was looking at that for the first time, so that's, uh, yeah, pretty shocking. Definitely my blue chip second baseman, but... I feel like we're both looking at the next guy down, and that might be the guy I'm looking at, but we'll get there when we get there. Tom, you have the next pick. Yes, I do, and I'm going to throw this out there right now. I'm going to save my starter and my reliever probably for next to last on here because there are many different options I can go with either way. If Tony takes one, I'm probably going to take, obviously I'll have to take a different player, but there's plenty that I will choose from that I can be happy with. So the next question is, where do I go next? Tony's already selected a third baseman and a shortstop. He could take somebody else there from for his DH. I don't know. Maybe he will. My suspicion is that he will probably take an outfielder. Which outfielder? Stay tuned to find out. I really don't know. I could go with my first baseman or another outfielder here. All right, so I'm going to go with an outfielder. Because I know there's definitely more supply at first base than the outfielders that I would want to choose from. Now, I've got two in mind, and they both occupy the same position, that being right field. Now, yeah, Tony, where do you think I'm going to go with this? I'm very curious to see who you're going to go with right field, because my top guy was Shoeless Joe. A little worried you'll take my second guy, though. We'll see. Well, see, here's a dilemma. I mean, they're both kind of well-balanced. They can both hit for power. They both have some defensive accolades. Because on the one hand, they're both extremely deserving of the Hall of Fame. One of them is much more sabermetric than the other guy. All right, I know who I'm going to pick. I'm going to go with the one that's a little bit more versatile defensively. And his name begins with a D and ends with White Evans. Tony just muttered the word f***. I'm taking Dwight Evans as my right fielder because he's an eight-time gold glover, three-time all-star, only a two-time silver slugger, but his numbers very much compare well to the next guy I was going to take, and his slash lines are much better in my opinion. 162 game average. He actually played 162 games at two points in his career, so this can be fairly accurate. 152 hits, 24 home runs, 86 RBIs, doesn't jump out at you, 86 walks to 105 strikeouts, that's pretty good, 272, 374, 70, 840, slash line, a career OPS plus of 127, very respectable at his best, an OPS plus of 163, unless I'm reading that wrong, but an extremely talented player in Dwight Evans, I just liked him much better than my other pick. I didn't necessarily want to take a Red Sox here, but again, I'm trying to build the best team possible, so I want to eliminate all 
the options that Tony, I know, would pick. Uh, also very good in the postseason, too. Go look at his postseason numbers for World Series appearances with the Red Sox in 1975 and 86 on baseball reference, but I don't have time to get into that because I've got to talk about his Hall of Fame numbers. He was on three ballots. In 1998, he accumulated 10.4% of the vote. In 1999, he dropped off the ballot with 3.6% of the vote for Dwight Evans. So that's kind of sad to see because this guy is surely worthy of enshrinement into Cooperstown if you make a case for him. By the way, his career war was 67.1. It's going to be much better than who I was going to pick if I didn't pick Dwight Evans. I had that man circled. I was so hoping you didn't. I mean, I I knew you knew about him. (laughs) I was so hoping. He was going to be my first pick in the next round, too. God damn it. I love balance. I could have gone full-fledged hitter, and I would have picked a completely different player than the two I was going between. But I didn't want to go that route. He's a good pick. Honestly, if his teammate Jim Rice is in the Hall of Fame, Evans should absolutely be there too. So maybe he'll get some love down the line, but until then, he is a part of this draft. Now, before I continue, something that's going to get cut out, getting this out of the way, no players who haven't hit the ballot yet, right? Like players who have retired but not hit the ballot yet. Yes. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, no Ichiro. No Ichiro. I saw Ichiro. I'm like, wait, there's a loophole. Yeah, no loophole. You might as well keep this in the podcast because I don't even think we mentioned that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at the start yeah you can't add Ichiro because he's not hit the ballot yet no one that's retired and hit the ballot yet can be um included as well otherwise I would have penciled in Ichiro is probably my second choice damn so I can't choose Bartolo Colon as my starter oh, <laughs> so that creates kind of a log jam so I'm probably gonna go to go for an outfielder now since you move shoeless Joe around I might need to do some reshuffling in my outfield you crippled being right so I hmm who else is in center actually there's a lot of good center fielders but there's two that definitely jump out so I'm gonna pick one straight out the gate uh, my center fielder is gonna be Kenny Lofton interesting I listed Kenny Lofton on my list I'll tell you that he was one of the guys I have a clear number one he was not number one for me Tom bold of you to assume he wasn't my number one, and I'm just moving him to right because Lofton has more range. Well, f- I didn't think about that. Maybe I, maybe <laughs> I played a card a little too early. Uh, but you know what? Talk, talk about Kenny Lofton. So Kenny Lofton is what I like to call baseball's forgotten stolen base darling. You know, everybody talks about Ricky Henderson. Everybody talks about Lou Brock. People forget how prolific Kenny Lofton was at Nab and Bags. 66 and 92, 70 and 93, 60 and 94. Oh, and by the way, a good chunk of these led the league when Ricky Henderson was still playing. Other than that, Kenny Lofton, what you're going to get out of him is a defensive wizard with some surprisingly good hitting in there. This is no Ozzie Smith where he's just the glove and every now and then you'll get a really good, you know, clutch home run for the ages. Kenny Lofton, you know, not that much of an over-the-top hitter. He has a 107 career OPS+. plus. But still, he hit 299 for his career, and he got on base 37% of the time with a 372 OBP, very respectable, a critical piece of that 90s Indian squad that terrorized the American League. He was an all-star six times, he won four gold gloves, he got some MVP votes in his days, he actually finished fourth in uh, 94. So Kenny Lofton, definitely one of the go-to options for someone who's never made the Hall of Fame. He's really an overlooked player for someone who, you know, if Ozzie Smith is in, I really think Lofton should be in. Lofton almost has 70 war, too. So, 
Oh, and he also has 2,400 career hits. Let's not forget about that. And 600 stolen bases. Yet, the more I look at this guy's baseball reference page, the more I fall in love with Kenny Lofton. Like, like Tom, I feel like your number one is going to be the guy I put in right field, but Kenny Lofton, I think, deserves a spot in center. Very rangy outfielder with some great, I don't want to say underrated hitting because he's still around league average, but still pretty damn good. Just scrolling down to his Hall of Fame votes right here. I believe he was one and done. Yes, he was. He was on the ballot once in 2013 and got 3.2% of the vote, which, bit underwhelming. This guy's not Jacoby Ellsbury, folks. Don't vote on him like he's Jacoby Ellsbury. Yeah, everything you said about Lofton, I have to agree on. On the side tangent, I really hope you're not taking who I'm going to take as my center fielder as your right fielder. I really hope not. Well, I guess we're going to find out very soon, I assume. But at any rate, if I had a active Twitter account, in 2013, where I'd be tweeting actively, I probably would have made a very significant argument as to why Kenny Lofton should have made another ballot, because I honestly think he should be a worthy candidate in one of the committees coming up. Will he get in right away? Probably not. There's probably some names that could get in ahead of him on said ballot, but Kenny Lofton, I do think, deserves a spot in Cooperstown, quite possibly, but some of the numbers, eh, they don't look so great. Exactly. He's not going to be your five-tool threat at the plate, but what he did, he did exceptionally well, and that's why I think he deserves the starting center fielder job. Now, there's another guy on this list that could have gotten the center fielder job, and both of whom are known for their defense. Although this individual has got a little more pop in his bat. And if you're a fan of the Angels and Cardinals teams of the 90s and 2000s, then you know where I'm going with this. My right fielder is going to be Jim Edmonds. And I think I saw it yet. Tom, was he your guy? He was not my guy. He wasn't? I have somebody. He was on my list, but he was not my guy. I may have possibly voted for somebody else ahead of Jim Edmonds. He probably would have been my number three choice. But go on, Tony. All right. I'm very curious to see who this is then. Uh, So Jim Edmonds... Very prolific career that, honestly, the more you look at it, the more you wonder why he doesn't get talked about as much. He's a four-time All-Star, an eight-time Cold Glover. He's got a Silver Slugger and a World Series championship under his belt. He won with the 06 Cardinals. And if you know Jim Edmonds, you probably know him for that sprawling catch in Houston where he's ranging away from the ball and absolutely sells out to make an amazing, you know, basket catch almost. Jim Edmonds is... One of the more underrated players in his day, and absolutely one of the more underrated players on the Hall of Fame ballot. He was also a one-and-done, got 2.5% in 2016, and that was it. Considering what Edmonds was able to do with how good his range was, with how good his arm was, and coupled with a very respectable hitting line, 132 career OPS+, plus slash line is 284, 376, and 527. He has almost 400 home runs at 393, and he just missed the 2,000 hit marker of 1949, and he's got the hardware. I mentioned the gold gloves and the silver slugger. He was an all-star numerous times, and he finished top five in MVP voting in the year 2000, uh, and the year 2004. I don't know how I missed that, but no, Jim Edmonds, I think, is a very underrated player. Definitely one of the most feared lefty lineups when he, uh, one of the most feared lefties in the lineup when he played for the Cardinals and Angels. I think he makes my team easily. I'm happy to have him in right field. I'm happy you took him because I also am going to go right at an outfielder 
for my next pick just to get the cat out of the bag while we're talking about it. If that saying is right. Cat out of the bag, is that a saying or am I thinking of something else? No, you got it. You're good. Okay, thank God. <laughs> All right. So it's funny you talk about underrated players of the 2000s because I'm surprised you did not think of this guy as my potential center fielder. Now, Edmonds may have had possibly a better overall career in the numbers and the accolades, but for me, there was definitely no one else clearer that I was going to take on my team other than Bernie Williams as my center fielder, one of my favorite players of all time, my first favorite player whenever I was growing up. He was the first person I wrote down when we initially even put the idea to paper. He was the first name I wrote down because I wanted Bernie Williams on my team. Now, is he somebody that is maybe more or less worthy of the Hall of Fame than Kenny Lofton and Jim Edmonds? I think Edmonds probably has a somewhat better case than Williams. I don't think Lofton has a better case than Bernie Williams, just because of postseason accolades, which leads me into my first point about Bernie Williams, one of the best postseason hitters of all time, also your 1996 ALCS MVP, just bragging about the Yankees again. He's played 121 postseason games, 128 hits, 22 home runs, 80 RBIs, 275, 371, 480, and 850 slash line. Just in the postseason alone, folks, that could be a full season's worth of numbers in 121 games, and he put up that in the postseason in his time there. When he wasn't in the postseason, he had 49.6 career war, almost 300 home runs, almost 2,400 career hits. Career slash line of 297, 381, 477, and 858. Also an OPS plus of 125. He was a five-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove winner, a Silver Slugger. He won a batting title and, of course, four World Series rings with the New York Yankees. In terms of Hall of Fame enshrinement, unfortunately, well, he only got two tries on the ballot. The first one in 2012, 9.6% of the vote gave me hope. Next year, got 3.3% of the vote. I was left very disappointed that the first favorite player I ever looked up to was not going to be a Hall of Famer. That is Bernie Williams. However, I'm very happy that Tony did not think of Bernie Williams for his team, or at least didn't put him on his team yet. I'm going to be honest with you. Call me a fake Yankees fan. I almost forgot about him. He... <laughs> He was on my list, he just wasn't particularly high. I just, I love Bernie Williams, don't get me wrong. It was the defense of Lofton and Edmonds that made me choose them. But Bernie, absolutely a viable choice. Postseason warrior, one of the more underrated players in Yankees history, let alone just baseball history. I like that pick. Yeah, but now I've got two Yankees on my roster, so now I feel legally obligated to not take any more Yankees on the roster. We might have, <laughs> we might have a case where there might be a third, but stay tuned for that. But at any rate... Let's move on to my next position. I'm going to go ahead and take my first baseman. Now, I think I've got a very well-balanced team that can hit the ball really well, and they can also play some defense. Now, I was thinking about where do I want to go and how could I improve my team? Would I go for power or would I go for the more balanced approach? And there are many left-handed bats at first base that I could have selected but I am not looking at somebody with tremendous defensive accolades. That was probably going to be my next pick. However, I am going to go full in on the power, whether or not his numbers were juiced or not because of steroids. 
I'm going to select Raphael Palmero as my first baseman. Hall of Fame-like numbers, especially if you look at them, uh, 71.9 career war, four-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger. He was the MLB Player of the Year at one point, a three-time Gold Glove winner, if that means anything to you. But I'm really looking at the power here. Again, I don't care if it's juiced. He had 569 career home runs with a very respectable 288, 371, 515, 885 slash line, OPS plus 132. I mean, the most he hit one year was 47, and he did that twice. I need power in this lineup, and I'm and I got it with Rafael Palmero. Again, steroids, that is obviously afflicting his case, and that's probably why he only got on the Hall of Fame ballot four times with a peak vote total of twelve point six percent of the vote in twenty twelve, but he dropped off in twenty fourteen by only getting four point four percent of the vote. So, Rafael Palmero, I could have actually put him in the outfielder. Apparently, he was a left fielder at one point, but I'm using him as a first baseman purely for the power. I'll be honest, I never knew he played left field, and I'll be honester, Palmero was at the top of my list too, but I'm kind of happy you took him. It, it makes my decision at first base a lot easier. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering where you're going, though. If you're going to go with one of those lefty bats that I might be thinking about, or if you're going to go in a completely different direction. So here's my thought process. Catcher, you already took Munson, so I have like one choice. Second base, you took Whitaker, so I have one choice. And the rest are pitchers. I might want... Hmm. I know how I want to approach this. So I'm going to stay on the first baseman tab. And I'm going to select not just my first baseman, but my DH as well. Ooh, you're going for the double killer right here, you bastard. I like to think my team has a nice balance of defense and hitting. Lofton and Edmonds are great defenders. Dick Allen's obviously going to be a three-type hitter for me. And at first base, you don't need, you know, a gold glove type of first baseman. But the way I look at it, it always helps. That's why for my first baseman on the field, I'm going to go with Keith Hernandez. This is a guy who, honestly, I didn't really consider a whole ton until I looked at baseball reference. I always saw him as like, okay, he's that contact-heavy defensive wizard who played for the Cardinals and the Mets. And now he's one of the best color guys in all of baseball. But that's besides the point. That's coming from a Yankee fan. Hernandez had a very decorated career. He was an MVP. He, actually a co-MVP with Willie Stargell, I believe. Won two World Series, one with the Cardinals, one with the Mets, two-time Silver Slugger, five-time All-Star. He won a batting title. I believe it was the same year he won MVP. Yes, it was. And he won 11 gold gloves. Now, I don't care if you're at a position that doesn't necessitate a lot of defense, like first base. 11 gold gloves is 11 gold gloves. And if you see someone make the plays he's made, it's pretty damn impressive. Like, I wish I could plug this video. I once saw a video of him charge the mound, or not charge the mound, charge the plate as a pitcher laid down a bunt, charged it, picked up the ball, threw it to third, and got the lead runner on a sacrifice bunt on a play that looks impossible. But outside of his defense, he's a clubhouse leader, very great at both getting on base and putting the ball in play, career OPS plus of 128, with a 384 career on base percentage, and like I said, he's going to be a guy who can both put the bat to the ball and field it very, very well. You know, a guy who played for the 80s Cardinals, you can't really sniff at that. So yeah, Keith Hernandez is going to be my first baseman. Now, in that same vein... I do notice on my team that I have a bit of a deficit in power. Like, Jim Edmonds and Dick Allen are my two power hitters, 
and they're by no means bad by any means, but I think I could definitely use a bit of a jolt. And I'm going the same route Tom is in terms of, you know what? If they juiced, they juiced, they got results on the field. That being said, my designated hitter is going to be Mark McGuire. Now, obviously, you think of the steroid era, you think of Mark McGuire. His numbers are obviously going to come off as very sketchy to you because Guy was juicing his entire career. However, I don't care about that in this league. I care that he put up a career 163 OPS plus, a 588 career slugging, good for a 982 OPS. By the way, OBP was almost 400, so you can't tell me he was just a pure slugger and nothing else. The guy got on base like it was nobody's business. Never won an MVP, which is really surprising to me. He got 7th place in MVP voting when he put up an OPS of 1198. That's ridiculous. Rookie of the Year winner, won a World Series with the Oakland A's. Only a 3-time silver slugger, that just goes to show how impressive the steroid era was. But he was a 12-time All-Star, and with him basically being just a walking tank on the baseball field, I don't want to have to worry about this guy playing defense. I am totally fine with him being my cleanup hitter, coming up, swinging the twig, and then taking a seat on the bench. Because this man, in case you couldn't tell, could bash. That's a Bash Brothers joke, ladies and gentlemen. I don't really need to explain too much more. It's Mark McGuire. He's there to hit dingers. That's my pick. Oh, I so saw that coming when you said you were doing two first basemen. However, you did inspire me a bit with an idea of my own. I'm going to do a Yankee swap. And what I mean by this is I'm going to move Rafael Palmero to my DH position in exchange for putting someone else at first base. Now, why am I going to move Rafael Palmeira to the DH. And that's because I was actually... Now, Keith Hernandez was one of the people I had listed down as my first baseman, but he was not going to be my top pick at first base had I gone defensively, even though he did win more defensive gold gloves than my next pick will. I overall liked the offensive numbers in his peak of Don Mattingly much more than Keith Hernandez. So I'm going to move Don Mattingly as my new first baseman, again, moving Rafael Palmero down to my DH. Now, Don Mattingly, I should definitely tell you about his career. I didn't have it pulled up for a second, but I don't know if he was hurt at one point. I think it was in 1990 he got hurt because he was on the Hall of Fame trajectory offensively alone, not even including the defense. At one point, he hit 35 home runs, 145 RBIs, and he booted a 324 average to go along with that. He won the MVP that year, being 1985. At one point, he put up 238 hits in a season. He hit 352 that year. Didn't win the batting title, by the way, that year, surprisingly. I don't know who did, and I really don't give a shit about looking it up at this point. But I can tell you Don Mattingly is a nine-time Gold Glove winner, as well as a six-time All-Star, a three-time Silver Slugger, and a Major League Player of the Year as well. Even when his offensive numbers deteriorated, he was still producing very good numbers that were making him a very good hitter, not necessarily a power hitter, though. Um, Ultimately, his career, again, I think was shortened. I don't know if that was shortened by an injury, but he retired after the 1995 season when he was 34 at that point, finished with over 2,000 career hits, over 200 home runs, over 1,000 RBIs at 307, 358, 471, 830 slugging line. 
He only had one postseason appearance, and boy howdy did he make the most of it in 1995, posting a 417 batting average over 25 plate appearances. Pretty damn good. That's 10 hits, by the way, kids. 15 Hall of Fame voting results last in 2015 with 9.1% of the vote. The first year he was on the ballot, he received 28.2% of the vote, which was also his peak. So very interesting that he went down year by year. Maybe he'll be a committee candidate at some point. But that is who my new first baseman will be, is Don Mattingly. Any thoughts, Tony? Don Mattingly might be the, I'll say the recipient of the most underrated Yankee of all time. And I say that when he was basically the captain, because people know Don Mattingly's good, I just feel like they don't realize how good he was. I mean, you threw out some of his numbers. He hit 350-something in a year and collected 30 fewer hits than Ichiro did when he broke Sizzler's all-time uh, hits at a season record. Mattingly was one of the premier, let's say, iconoclast first basemen because, you know, he existed in the era before steroids, but still, a contact-driven first baseman is not what you think of when you think of the position. So, great pick with Mattingly. Great defense, great hitter. Guy had a fantastic career. I, for one, hope he gets in the Hall of Fame. I think he deserves it. I do believe so, too. Now, I could go the pitcher route here, but there's many different pitchers that I can choose from, and I'm not necessarily, again, banking on picking one right away, either a starter or reliever. However, I've made a decision of where I want to go next, and that's going to be shortstop, a position that Tony has taken and I haven't. Now, there were a few choices that made my list. I could have gone very old school, I could have gone 70s, or I could go modern day. And I'm going to go modern day with a player who, again, had his career shortened by injuries, even though he also played, or he had a 14-year career and ended his career at the age of 35. Now, who could I be going with? I had two choices from the modern poll. One of them I'm not picking because he's much worse on defense than my pick, who is possibly the greatest shortstop in the game, at his peak, better than Derek Jeter, and it just so happened that he was on the rival team, the Boston Red Sox. I'm going to go with a guy who doesn't have necessarily Hall of Fame numbers, but I'm going on the peak years with this guy, Nomar Garcia Para. That's who I am going to pick, because damn, could this guy ball. I mean, his 162-game average, I could go through that, and that doesn't even give it justice to his best career years. He had 26 home runs, 106 RBIs. This is that 162-game average, by the way. 197 hits a year, 42 doubles, 11 stolen bases. Only 46 walks, but only 63 strikeouts. Very good hitter. 313, 361, 521, 882 career slash line. His best year, he finished second in the MVP voting in 1998. 195 hits, his peak was 209. By the way, that was his rookie year. 35 home runs, 122 RBIs, 323 batting average, a fantastic as hell slash line. Again, injuries kind of took a toll on his career in the later stretches. He was approaching 30, but damn was he on a Hall of Fame trajectory when he was slugging. Also a very good postseason hitter if you want to look up his postseason numbers. Hall of Fame results, only two ballots, 5.5% of the vote in 2015, one8 in 2016. Again, somebody who's in the Hall of Very Good, not Hall of Fame, but had he not gotten hurt, Nomar Garciaparra could have possibly been a first ballot Hall of Famer had he kept to that same trajectory he had in the 90s and the early 2000s. 
I'll be honest, I didn't really look at Garcia Parra too much, and I'll be frank and say it was longevity-based, it was counting stats-based a little bit, but if you're going for pure talent in a short amount of time, you can't get much better than him. I really like that pick. So we are down to our final few positions, and for me at least, there are two positions that haven't been touched. Those are the two pitching positions. Now, I already know who I'm picking a catcher in second base. Tom can't take them because DH is already filled out. So I'm going to go ahead and pencil in my two pitchers. For my starter, there's a bunch of routes I could have gone here. I guarantee you this guy was on Tom's board. I don't know if he was Tom's number one or not. But in the same vein of Mark McGuire, you know, he probably juiced, but or Mark McGuire definitely juiced. But this pitcher juiced, but I don't care about that. I'm really looking for results. My ace of the squad is going to be Kevin Brown, a name that I... That's actually come up in the show previously. He was one of my trivia questions back when Hall of Fame voting first started up. So I won't go too into detail about Brown since we've gone over him already, but six-time All-Star, two-time ERA title, helped lead the 97 Marlins to the World Series over the Cleveland Indians. He's got 67 war on his career, which for a pitcher is very, very good. Something I really like about him is that he also led the league in whip multiple times. Whip, if you don't know, being walks and hits over ratings pitched. That's just how many base runners are you allowing. ERA plus of 215 in 1996, and he somehow didn't win the Cy Young Award. Yeah, Kevin Brown and getting snubbed for awards go together like peanut butter and jelly, if you ask me. Very underrated career, quite possibly the most underrated starter in baseball history. His legacy just gets clouded by accusations of steroids and accusations of being kind of a head case in the clubhouse maybe a bit of an anger problem but in this case I really don't care about that this guy came to the ballpark every day and produced the Padres got him on a one-year deal and he led them to a world series seriously Kevin Brown being a one and done I believe he only got 12% of the vote I'm scrolling to it now no worse and not 12 sorry 2.1% of the vote back in 2011 which for a pitcher as dominant as he was in his prime, I think is criminal. So, Kevin Brown is going to be my ace. Yeah, he was definitely on my list, Tony. He wasn't going to be my number one, per se, but that's really because I don't have a number one at the starting position. I could go in, again, a different routes, and that's probably going to be the same with the relief pitcher that you take, to. He's probably going to be on my list, but I don't know if he would be my number one. I kind of have an idea of who I'd want to take with the relief, but at the same time, I'm flexible. I'm the exact same way. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm looking at three relievers right now, and I almost don't know who to pick. Like, <laughs> I'll just go with him. So, three very good relievers from roughly the same era, one a little bit later than the last. But for this pick, I'm going to go with one of the more underrated relievers of the 80s, and that, my friends, is Mr. Tom Henke. So, Hankey was a closer for the Toronto Blue Jays. He actually pitched for the Rangers before he came to Toronto, but he wasn't the uh, primary closer. And he was very, very effective in his role, collecting at least 25 saves multiple times. And as his career got on, he actually got better. If you look at save counts, he goes from 20 to 32, then from 32 to 40 after a couple years. Career ERA plus of 1. 57, which is right up there with guys like Goose Gossage and Hoyt Wilhelm. I, it's actually more than both of those guys. Only went for 14 years, which I believe is fewer than Goose Gossage, but you can't deny what he was able to do in his prime. He has a career ERA of 267, career whip of just under 1.1. He's 1.092. Couple of all-star selections, couple of MVP finishes, actually, not even Cy Young finishes, MVP finishes. 
that's how locked down this man was at the back end of the bullpen. And overall, he just doesn't, he doesn't get talked about a whole ton, and he was very, very good at what he did. And that's shutting the door, not allowing runs, being the closer. Definitely could have gone a lot of ways with this. I'm sure Tom is going to pick one of the two other guys I have on my slate, but I'm not going to regret taking Tom Hankey. Yeah, Hankey was one of the guys I had down. Wasn't going to be the guy I was probably going to lean toward. That I'm actually I'm actually going back and forth about who I'm going to take next, because I think I'm going to go relief next just to stay on track about this, but I'm curious about who I'm going to go with, because there's a way I could see this. Longevity, efficiency, reliability in different regards, and also just pure dominance. And I don't know which route I want to go. I'll just say it because we can't pick any more relievers. If I want to go for versatility, I would pick Sparky Lyle, a very good reliever in his own right. I think he only had like 200-something saves, but he won a Cy Young at one point in the 70s. Very good pitcher in his own right. Longevity, I could go with John Franco, the lefty reliever who probably should be in the Hall of Fame or at least have a very good case for that. Now, if I wanted to go with more dominance, and the more and more I'm looking at his numbers, the more and more I'm leaning towards taking him, and I'm going to. I'm going to take one of the premier closers of the 80s. I'm going to take Dan Quisenberry as my reliever. A longtime Kansas City Royal won a World Series with them in 1985. Yes, I wanted to confirm that year. Damn near won an MVP a couple of times. Damn near won a Cy Young in four straight seasons. He finished either third or second in Cy Young voting, that being from 1982 through 1985. He didn't have the longest career. He only pitched 12 years, and it looks like either injuries or age affected him. Dan Quisenberry, rest his soul. A very, very great reliever in his own right in the 80s. Career ERA of 276. Wins and losses really don't matter. 244 saves, that doesn't really matter to me because he was dominant because he led the league in saves five times in six years. And if you're a reliever who could almost win an MVP back when voters would actually vote for relievers for MVP and nearly win a Cy Young as well in that stretch of a time, I'm going to vote for you. I'm taking Dan Quisenberry as my reliever. Quisenberry was one of the two I was looking at. It was between him and Franco. Quisenberry, very overlooked name. Honestly, almost took him from the name alone. <laughs> Lockdown closer for the Royals when they won that World Series. Very good pick. Now, I believe you only have one. Nope, you have two. I can't count. You have two positions left, Tom. Uh, I'm very curious which one you're going to go with. I'm going to start with my starting pitcher, I think, because I'm still debating on which third baseman I'm going to take. Um, it'll be a toss-up between two guys. One of them we certainly know. The other one probably you might not have ever heard of. And I'm honestly leaning toward that guy we've never heard of. But starting pitcher, I wrote down Kevin Brown, Dwight Gooden, Mickey Lolick, Oral Hershiser, David Cohn, Ron Guidry, and Johan Santana as the guys I would possibly take at the starting pitcher role. I underlined three of them because I felt they were the most locked down picks of my selection. And that was Mickey Lolick because I wanted to go a little outfield. Lolich. Sorry. Lolich. My apologies. Sorry. No, I'd rather get I'd rather get it right. Mickey Lolich, David Cohn, or Johan Santana. Now I've gone with a decent bit of modern guys, so I'm probably leaning toward Cohn 
or Lolich. And I'm really quickly going to take a look at the career numbers of both of them just to lock in my selection. Uh, yeah. Okay, I have my guy. I was flipping between Lolich and Cone. And I'm going to end up picking David Cone as my starting pitcher. I like his career numbers better. He had a... I, actually, he might not have had a lower career ERA. No, they're actually damn near the same. 344 for Lolich and 346 for Cone. But I think he's had a better career overall. He never broke 300 strikeouts in a season like Lolich did. Lolich... No, Lolich. I was right. 194 wins, 126 losses, 346 ERA. Almost 2,700 career strikeouts. He had a save at one point when he was a New York Met. David Cohn did. Of course, a Yankee, a World Series winner with the Yankees. A well-respected color guy for the New York Yankees. Now moving over to Sunday Night Baseball. I don't know if he's still with the Yankees. If he is, thank God. If not, then thank you for your time with the Yankees. You're going to entertain the masses over in Sunday Night Baseball. That's not the point. I just like... Cone's career numbers better, 162 game average, 15 and 10, 346 ERA, 209 strikeouts, pretty damn good to me. Yeah, also a Cy Young winner, and among other accolades such as a five-time All-Star and five-time World Series winner, I'm going with David Cone. Solid pick. Really like him. Obviously, great storied career with both the Yankees and Mets. Uh, the Royals at one point as well. Solid team. We're both oh, pretty damn solid team so far. What's that? Son of a bitch. I just realized the one premise that we had to do is talk about the where they were in Hall of Fame voting. I didn't do that for Quiz and Barrier Cone. God damn it. Hang Don't on. Don't worry. I think I forgot to do it for Hernandez and Maguire as well. <laughs> I, I, think no, I think you did it for I think you did it for both of them. Uh, but if you didn't, you can take care of them in a minute. Real quickly, I've got Cone pulled up. 2009 was his only year on the ballot. 3.9% of the vote. Atrocity. And let me pull up Dan Quisenberry real quickly. Actually, I may have done him. I don't think yeah, you did, point. Quisenberry. I didn't. Uh, I just well, love sure. saying that name. I wish I took him now just so I could say his name. <laughs> I like Tom Henke, though. That's a pretty good name, too. I, I might be biased because his name is Tom. But, I was uh, going to say. At <laughs> any rate, 1996 was Quisenberry's only year on the ballot. 3.8% of the vote. You can go on, Tony. So I am down to my final two players. Tom only has one left. My final positions are catcher and second base. I'll rattle them off real quick for you right now. Catcher, I'm going to go with Gene Tennis of the Oakland Athletics. Now, Gene Tennis, I believe we've talked about him on the show before. He was kind of like the unsung hero of those swinging A's teams of the 1970s. At one point, he was the backup to starter Ray Fossey. Rest in peace, Ray Fossey. But Tennis, in his day, was most certainly underappreciated because this man could walk. This man could walk like nobody's business. And you know how I know he was underappreciated? One year on the ballot, 0.2% of the vote. I am willing to bet this man got one or two votes and then voters called it a day. Which, to me, is kind of ridiculous. He's definitely not a slam dunk Hall of Fame candidate, but when you see a 388 on base percentage on a catcher, when you see him lead the league in walks twice and walk more than he struck out, pretty much for his entire career. And when you see what he did in the World Series with the A's, I'm pulling it up right now, but Gene Tennis was the first catcher to ever win World Series MVP, and it was also the first catcher to hit four home runs in a single World Series. That World Series, mind you, was in 72, when he posted a 13-13 OPS with four home runs, like I said, good for a 9-13 slugging percentage. That is ridiculous. 
So Gene Tennis, definitely not a name that's going to jump out at you, but when you see, when you look a little further and you see his 136 OPS plus and his ability to just get on base, really good career, really solid career. I do not mind having him as my backstop. And for my last position, I'm going to go second base. Back when Tom drafted Lou Whitaker, I said, you know, it's fine. I got a bit of a backup. I got a guy in my back pocket. I'm pretty sure this is the guy in Tom's quote unquote back pocket as well. I'm going to go with the ever underrated Bobby Gritch at second base. Now, Bobby Gritch, you might not have heard of him just because he's most well known as a Los Angeles Angel or rather California Angel at the time. And they weren't very good. California Angels were not very good in the 80s, but Bobby Gritch himself was anything but bad, anything but a forgettable player, because even though you might not have heard of him, these numbers are going to jump off the page at you. He's got a 125 career OPS+, plus, a six-time All-Star with four gold gloves, and a silver slugger under his belt. What sells it for me? The man's got 71 war. This guy, even though his offensive numbers aren't the best ever for a second baseman, you gotta remember, 125 OPS plus for a second baseman is very respectable, and when you couple that with the amazing defense he had, trust me, he didn't get 71 war from hitting, you know, 260, 270 year in and year out. That's not to disrespect his hitting, he's still a very accomplished hitter. You gotta understand, these defensive-minded second basemen kind of get a shaft by the defensive-minded shortstops, i.e. Ozzie Smith i.e. Omar Vizquel before he took a dive off the pallet. But Bobby Gritch is a very accomplished baseball player. I dare say he belongs in the Hall of Fame with a 70-war career, multiple gold gloves, and all-star selections. So I'm happy to have him at second base. I love Lou Whitaker. He definitely belongs in the Hall too. But Gritch, I think, has just as good of a right to be in there. Yeah, remember... If you're still listening to this, remember when I said that there was a second baseman backup uh, choice for me? That was a sabermetric darling. I was referencing Bobby Gritch. So, yeah, he was going to be my backup. Now, my third baseman is the last position I need to take. I'm going to go through it real quickly because of timing. I could cheatsy doodle a little bit and take Steve Garvey because technically he did play third base at some points of his, of his career. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take somebody who primarily played third base in their career, which unfortunately also excludes Vern Stevens or Cecil Travis or Cecil Travis, who I was possibly going to take as my shortstops, but I'm not going to do that. So I'm left with two of my choices, which were either Greg Nettles, who I'm not going to take, by the way, just because I want to be different and not take a Yankee. But instead, I'm going to take somebody who may have had better offense, who definitely has better offensive numbers when you look at the slash line. And I'm mainly referencing batting average, but I think he's better in other regards too. I'm going to take longtime St. Louis Cardinal Ken Boyer as my third baseman. You might not have heard of him. If you haven't, go look him up on Baseball Reference because I really didn't know too much about him either, to be honest with you, before I did the research. But 62.8 career war, pretty respectable. Over 2,000 career hits, near 300 home runs, yada, yada, yada. And a 162-game average, he only hit 22 home runs, 91 RBIs. He would do 171 hits, very good. But the slash line is better. Greg Nettles' all-time slash line, I think his batting average is like a 249 or somewhere around there. Ken Boyer is 287. He's also got a 349 OBP. 462 slugging, OPS 810. I think there's a pretty respectable numbers. 
his peak years, uh, they compared to Nettles offensively, you can argue. At one point, he had 32 home runs. At one point, he drove in 119 RBIs. He also won an MVP that year, too, with the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, he won a World Series with them, an 11-time All-Star, too, if you want to go on accolades. He was an 11-time All-Star, ladies and gentlemen. Major League Player of the Year at one point, five-time Gold Glove winner. He contributed two home runs and six RBIs to that uh, 1964 World Series winning team. Uh, but his batting average in OBP wasn't that great. Hall of Fame results. He was on the ballot 15 times. At the height of his Hall of Fame voting credentials, he had 25.5% of the vote in 1988. Ended in 1994 with 11.8% of the vote. So yeah, I decided I'm going to be different. I'm going to take Ken Boyer as my third baseman. I'll be honest, after seeing your track record, I thought it was going to be Nettles hands down because, well, a Yankee. Another... Another guy who could be considered the most underrated Yankee of all time, but I like Boyer. Definitely not a guy I grew up knowing or uh, knew a whole ton about when we started this whole project, but I looked over him when I thought of who I was going to pick if you did take Dick Allen, and he had a very respectable career. Uh, St. Louis legend, definitely a solid pick, and definitely a solid team, I think on the count of both of us, because folks, we are done. We have drafted both of our teams, from catcher to DH and a pair of pitchers, we're probably going to post these on social media sometime soon after the episode drops. Nevertheless, just recapping, my team is Gene Tennis at catcher, Keith Hernandez at first, Bobby Gretsch at second, Dick Allen at third, Bill Dallin at short, Pete Rose, Kenny Lofton, and Jed Medmins going left to right in the outfield, Mark McGuire as my DH, Kevin Brown as my starter, and Tom Hankey as my closer. That's a very good team, Tony, but I definitely know I have the superior team. I've got my starting pitcher as David Cohn, reliever Dan Quisenberry, catcher Thurman Munson, first baseman I took Don Mattingly, second base Lou Whitaker, shortstop no more Garcia Parra, third base Ken Boyer, left field I'm putting Shoeless Joe Jackson out there, center field Bernie Williams, right field Dwight Evans, at DH I'm putting Raphael Paul Mero. So those are our two teams. Again, we like our team of the month edition. We will put up a poll on Twitter and Instagram to determine who had the better team. The community gets to vote. Hopefully, you will take part in that voting process. Most cumulative votes wins unless we have a tie again, and then I'd be very sad. Oh, man. Hopefully, we don't get a tie this time around because I think these are two very good teams in two very different ways. I'm very curious to see how y'all are going to vote. I may or may not Venmo you money if you vote for my team, but we'll talk about that another day. Oh, you're going to create your own kind of scandal. I know you've got some scandalous <laughs> players on your team. I got some on my team. I'm not disregarding that, but we are not doing a voting scandal. Get the hell out of here with that shit. Yeah, Pete Rose and Mark McGuire are going to help me uh, construct it. They're both on my team anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a wrap on our second ever draft here on the Diamond Duo Podcast. Let us know what you think. We are now going to segue into the closer of this week, and it'll be a bit of a traditional closer. Tom, you've got something you want to talk about. I've got something I want to talk about. Let's get right into it. We've got Because we've got some pretty interesting news coming out of baseball, even though there's not much in the way of a season yet. But Tom, I'll let you go first, because a very good meme has died in the past two weeks. Oh boy, howdy, Tony. Now, I've wanted to start a merch line for this specific cause because the Montreal Bay Devil Expos would have been one hell of a t-shirt. Unfortunately, we can't do that anymore because that Montreal-Tampa Bay split-season bullshit plan 
is officially killed. And honestly, thank God it did, because this was the stupidest plan of all time. I could read you the article from the Tampa Bay Times. I really don't feel like it, so I'm going to go over what I know. And if you don't remember what this whole thing was, Tampa Bay, they can never get a new stadium. Why? Many reasons. I'm not going to go over them. However, Montreal is also desperate for a baseball team once again, and Tampa Bay kind of saw that as a market of, you know, we can split a season here and there. Maybe that would increase the attendance. Maybe they would get more money. Or I don't know what the hell they wanted to do with this stupid road trip bullshit. But essentially, they wanted to play half the season in Montreal, half of it in Tampa Bay. It's really stupid. Thank God they're not doing it anymore. I love how the Tampa Bay Rays had to put out a statement on their Twitter from principal owner Stuart Sternberg because of the whole situation. People are getting pissy in Tampa Bay, saying we're not going to root for a franchise that's going to do a split season thing anyway. I don't think it'd really matter because what fans do you have in Tampa anyway? (laughs) So I don't think they'd really lose a whole lot of their fan base. No offense, Tampa. I kind of hate you, but uh, it's a love-hate relationship. You you guys are cool, but you keep beating the Yankees in the postseason. I'm not going to read the entire statement because it's multiple tweets long. However, I will read you one tweet because this made me laugh out loud on the subway when I found out this plan was dead. And it's that the Rays are, oh, by the way, this is from Steven Pianovich on Twitter. The Rays are moving on from this plan after two and a half years because it's almost arbitration eligible. Uh, isn't that just a slap in the face of those penny pinchers down in Tampa Bay? I love that tweet. Thank you, Steven, for blessing my timeline with that tweet about this stupid story finally being killed. Thank God. I'm going to be honest with you, dude. I think you sent me that tweet when I was at work and I looked up from what I was doing. Cause I had a second. That was exactly what I needed to get through that day. I love that joke so much. And almost as much as I love that this deal is dead. You said it perfectly. It's a stupid deal. Montreal got so screwed by MLB baseball. Just give them their own team. Don't have them share a poverty franchise town in Florida. Oh man. But that is one half of the closer. The second half is something that actually dropped today. And something that's not necessarily tied directly to Major League Baseball, but in a sense it kind of is. Uh, If you're into video games, which if you've been a longtime listener to the show, you know Tom and myself are, the cover athlete for MLB The Show 22 dropped today, and to the surprise of literally no one, the cover athlete is one Shohei Otani. Now, this, like I said, is a is a surprise to absolutely no one. If it was anyone else, we'd all be scratching our heads wondering what the hell are they doing over there. Uh, But yeah, it was a no-brainer. Next year's game is going to be releasing on April 5th. There's a deluxe edition coming out in two days from today, that being on February 2nd. Definitely a nice way to uh, open our Monday if you're a fan of baseball, fan of MLB The Show. I, for one, am looking forward to this next game coming in store. You know, we don't have as much time as we did during college, but it's nice to sit down and just unwind with a little baseball because we miss baseball. And that is the lesson here. That's the moral of the story. Yeah. Now, stay tuned for that story to figure out if Tom is going to buy the game on the Switch so that way he can play Diamond Dynasty on the go or if he's going to stick with the PlayStation strategy and get it on his PS4. That's going to be the real (laughs) saga going into April. Decisions, decisions. Speaking of decisions, Tony, should we wrap this show up right now 
or should we keep bullshitting with each other for more and more time? Do you have anything you would like to say? <laughs> hmm, should we make the closer longer? No. I've got nothing else to add. This is a pretty chill week, built a fun little team, talked about what little news there is to talk about. Apparently, the MLB and MLBPA are scheduled to meet tomorrow, i.e. February 1st, so hopefully this time in two weeks we will have more news to relay to you, but for the time being, keep up those prayer circles, folks, that we will have baseball on time. I hope so as well, but we will find out in due time. That being said, that wraps up episode 16 of the Diamond Duo podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you've made it through the end of the episode, you are a fantastic person if you've done that. Give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at Diamond Duo Podcast. Rather, the Diamond Duo Podcast on Instagram at Diamond Duo Pod on Twitter for more show updates and whatnot. Remember that video we said we made two weeks ago? Well, we're going to try and make good on that in due time. Stay tuned for that. That might be one of the next things we get out on social media. any rate, stay tuned two weeks from now, folks, for another episode of the Diamond Duo Podcast. What will we talk about? I have no idea. You're just going to have to find out then. Talk to you later, folks.